Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. Christmas. Good morning, sir. Christmas. Can you believe it? It's here. I was looking on the sign-in sheet back there a minute ago and looking on the 24th of November. Is that blue line down it? Not, not, I wasn't marked that day. Well, that was Thanksgiving. That was last week. So we're off into Christmas. Ronnie? Merry Christmas. So Phil traditionally does what I what I believe has been a three-week Christmas series. I pondered last week wondering how he was going to wrap up the series we've been in we had been in today and then do the three weeks of Christmas. And when he sent out the email Monday, uh, he informed the leadership group that the series we have been in, which I don't even remember what it was, it was pre-Thanksgiving. Uh, we will pick up again in January. So we're doing four weeks of Christmas holiday uh, series. Let me remind you, on the, the Thursday before Christmas, that's about the 23rd, I think, 22nd, that will be the day we have not done it in two or three years because of COVID. That will be the day that we invite uh, youngsters, women, children, girls, daughters, and sons to come into the men's group. That is a special day. I've always enjoyed that. Uh, my two boys have participated in that through the years. They're older now with their own families. One one has three kids and they'll get married in February. So I have adopted the next door neighbor's son who is 12 as of this week. And I'm looking forward to him joining me that, uh, that last Thursday in December. Guys, if you haven't looked at the title, this one's interesting. I asked Phil a couple of years ago, I said, so what do you know about <clears throat> the idea of the day of Christmas being decided as once the calendar made the turn and the days began to get longer? Someone taught me years ago that December 25th is the day we celebrate the birth of Christ and it's a pagan holiday. No idea when Christ was born. It wasn't born on the 25th of December, but they picked the 25th of December, as I was told then, that they knew the days had started becoming longer again. Could have been the 23rd. Could have been the 24th. But they picked December 25th because Jesus was light, and the days began to get longer again. It's interesting to see how some of the traditions that we have may not be biblically based. And I'm excited that you're getting into this, Phil, because I have found that um, in the last couple of years with COVID and spending more time with my, my boys and my family, having conversations about the Bible and about religion, my Savior, their Savior, have become more meaningful to me. And to know the difference between tradition and what's actually biblically based is incredibly important to me. So that as I share with my family and I share with my friends, I know what may be viewed as someone said, oh, December 25th, you mean that pagan holiday? No. It may be pagan in the calendar. It may not be the actual birth of our Savior. But I celebrate the birth of our Savior. Not Santa Claus, but the birth of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of gathering here. Lord, we thank you 
for the son you sent to walk the earth, to be where we are, to be fully God and fully man, knowing experiences that we experience gives me comfort. I know you understand. I know you're with us. I pray you'll be with us through this holiday season. Touch each of our hearts. Open our ears. May we hear your voice. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Morning, gentlemen. We got a good uh, Thanksgiving. I'm on the um, uh, on, on the mend um, from uh, eating too much. Um, I'm dieting um, this month. Uh, Carla told me I had to um, get my girlish weight back down. I'm not looking like I belong at the sorority house. So uh, I'm trying to get back in shape. But we had a great time in Palm Springs, California. Abigail, our youngest daughter, is engaged to a a uh, young man uh, that grew up in Palm Springs. And so uh, we went to Palm Springs and met the uh, in-laws and they met the outlaws. And uh, I told Carla that we're going to Palm Springs. It's where Bob Hope and the beautiful people live. So I said, I'm going to take you out there, but don't embarrass me. <laughs> you know, the, the eye has healed since I said that. <laughs> Uh, but uh, hope you had a great holiday. Uh, we did. Um, excited uh, to begin our uh, Christmas series. And as Joe said, then we'll jump back into Lion Maker um, uh, series uh, in January. But um, great time of year to celebrate uh, Jesus. Um, so I want to offer you uh, a song this morning, O Holy Night. Um as a Christmas song, I want you to look at your notes there, and I just want to uh, focus you on the last stanza, and then we're going to play a, a couple of videos, a little bit of background video, and then and then Jeff will play the song as well. But look at the very last stanza there on the words of your song. Um, Truly, He taught us to love one another. His law is love, and His gospel is peace. Chains shall he break from the slave, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we, let all within us praise his holy name. I would invite you uh, in the coming days just to tease that out, um, journal that stanza in your own words put that in your own words how would you communicate uh, those words if god were saying those things to you in your language how would you say that i've loved the words to the song but how would you say that how would you hear that in your own head good thing uh, to journal may you hear the voice of god and may he prepare our hearts for what he has for us this morning oh holy night in 1847, the French song Cantique de Noël was co-written by a Jewish composer named Adolf Adam. A decade later, the American minister John Sullivan Dwight translated the lyrics into English. As an abolitionist, 
Dwight was struck by the lyrics of the second verse. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Almost 60 years later, on Christmas Eve in 1906, the Canadian inventor Reginald Fessenden created the world's first radio broadcast, mostly heard by radio operators and cargo ships in the Atlantic. Fessenden read the story of the Nativity from the Gospel of Luke and played O Holy Night on his violin, making it the first Christmas song ever broadcast on the radio. Hmm. Here's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and
Amen, amen, amen. So grateful that um, when I hear the words to that song and I see those images that my heart is stirred. Aren't you? I mean, that's a gift. You know, I'm not stirred by the voice of Josh Groban singing. He's a good singer. Lots of good singers. My heart is stirred um, by the Jesus that is sung about and is visually seen. And by the way, those are clips out of the movie Nativity. Uh, the, the Nativity. Uh, recommend it to, to your Christmas movie watching. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Excited uh, for us to spend uh, these uh, few weeks in December uh, preparing our hearts um, for the celebration of Jesus' birth. Um, the title of this series is uh, Christmas, Culture, and Jesus. And um, I want to draw your attention to Christmas and culture and in a sense, I guess, we're, in a certain sense, going to build a firewall between Christmas culture and Jesus, in a certain sense. Because Christmas and Jesus are not synonyms. Uh, Christmas and culture are very different. I mean, lots of people celebrate Christmas, right? I mean, the world celebrates Christmas but they do not celebrate the birth of Jesus. Christmas, unfortunately, does not mean the same thing as Jesus' birth. It's not. And so my, my prayer is, as we spend these few weeks together, that you'll have a greater appreciation for Jesus and that your heart will be more attuned to him than Christmas. And it truly will be a much more God-honoring, worshipful time. Follow with me and let me read the introduction to you. Christmas culture and Jesus. It seems that the most awesome event of human history, the coming of God to earth as a babe in a manger, has been forever obscured by Santa shopping and merrymaking. And by the way, this is, this is a famous painting. I mean, uh, most of you have seen this painting and um, I find it, when I first saw it, kind of ridiculous. You know, Santa uh, kneeling at um, the manger. But the more I've thought about it, it's not ridiculous at all. It's not. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of creative. But isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Uh, it's supposed to be that way. Because one day, Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2, all knees will bow. All knees. Even Santa will bow before King Jesus. So, is it really, quote, the most wonderful time of the year, unquote? Only in relatively recent times, the past 200 years, has Christmas even been celebrated by most Christians. And that's some of the things that I want to, to share a little bit with you um, about in terms of culture. Up until the 1800s, the day recognized as Christ's birthday was largely a pagan celebration. 
In most of the world, especially in England and America, Christmas was not a time of worship, prayer, and reflection. Rather, it was a day set aside to sing broady songs, drink rum, and riot in the streets. Sounds like East Tennessee, you know, on a Saturday night, you know. As a friend of mine said, uh, Bob, our, our, our mutual friend Robert Morgan said, it's where God makes the sunshine and we make the moonshine. <laughs> East Tennessee. In this study, we will consider Christmas and culture and how we came to celebrate the birth of Jesus as we do today. The hope is that we will find ourselves in awe of Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. So I want to invite you to, to engage in this process of, of really um, considering what the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth, really means in the impact it would have on you and me even today. Um, the incarnation is best summed up in, in, the, in the little story, and, and you've, you've heard this, and you know, pastors have used this, I've used this, I, I don't remember you know, how long ago it was that I heard this, but you know, the little girl uh, uh, is tucked into bed by her dad, she goes back downstairs after cutting off the light, and it begins to thunder and lightning. And I mean, the uh, 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 thunder is uh, crackling, and lightning is lighting up the room, and she begins to cry, and she gets scared. And she hears her daddy, um, or, or her daddy hears her, and he runs back upstairs, and he says, uh, as he sticks his head in the, in the room and cuts the line, he says, sweetheart, what, what's the matter? And she said, Daddy, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared of the lightning. I'm scared of the thunder. And he said, well, we'll just pray to God, and, and God will comfort you. And she looks at Daddy, and she says, yeah, but Daddy, I need something with, arm, uh, with hands on it and arms to hold me. And that is the incarnation. I need somebody with arms. I need hands to hold me. And that is why we believe in an incarnational gospel. Jesus has come, and sometimes we need something more than just somebody telling us to pray to God. We need somebody to hug us. We need a handshake. We need a hand on our shoulder. And as we go through this series on the incarnation of Jesus, Sometimes you are Jesus with skin on it for somebody else. That's the powerful piece. You will have an opportunity today to somehow bring Jesus into the room. A smile, a handshake, a phone call, a text message, that somehow the incarnational Jesus coming to us can be expressed through you and me even today. So pick up your pen. I have three questions for you. Let's go to work. The incarnation of Jesus. So question number one I'd, I'd invite you to consider is, when has someone sat with you in a time of need? What comes to your mind when somebody just sat with you? Um, Follow-up to that is, when have you been able to sit with someone in need that you've just sat with? You've not tried to fix the problem. You've just been able to be much like Job's friends were. Do you remember the story of Job and what happened 
when Job's friends heard about him, he lost everything. Lost his wife, lost his farm, lost his cattle. He lost everything. And in Job chapter 2, it says that when his friends showed up, um, like good friends do, you know, they came to comfort Job. The first thing that the passage says when they showed up was, number one, they didn't even recognize Job. He was in such deep grief and loss that he was unrecognizable. You ever seen somebody like that? Ever experienced somebody in such deep, deep need? They don't even look the same. I've seen that. And then it goes on in the passage at the latter part of chapter 2, and it says in the passage that Job's friends sat with Job. How long? Do you remember that? Seven days they sat with Job and said nothing. Seven days. And that worked out pretty good until they started talking, and then it got stupid. It got stupid. Sometimes it's better to just keep your mouth shut. But seven days they sat with Job and said nothing. Guys, that's the incarnation. Sometimes less is a whole lot more. Well, you know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Just show up, dude. Just show up. And most everybody in this room has had that experience of walking into a, to an awkward family situation. You don't know what to say, but you, but you just show up. I mean, that, that's the beauty of living in our culture here in the South. Uh, you know, whether you're from Tennessee or Yazoo City or Mississippi, it's, it's a beautiful culture. People show up with fried chicken and coleslaw in a, in a, in a casserole. I hate casseroles, by the way. You know, but it's a cool deal. It's a cool deal. I want you to put pen to paper. Just, just identify that. When have you sat with somebody and when has somebody sat with you? And I, I, I have to um, tell you, I'm, um, I'm um, teary-eyed this morning. Uh, my heart is mush, um, uh, a little emotional, not because of somebody dying, but because of somebody living um, in such a hard place right now. Um, 95 year old dad had another another um, stroke uh, event um, and uh, he is hour to hour uh, right now uh, just praying that God would just take him. He needs to be dancing with Jesus. And um, I, I, I grieve for my sister. My sister is fully taking care of him and it's just hour to hour. Many of you have had that experience and you know what it's like to, to lose and older parent and um, yesterday um, was uh, Mamaw, um, my mother, uh, his wife's uh, seventh anniversary of going home and both Judy and I were praying that God would take Papaw uh, yesterday and I didn't get a text uh, this morning. Uh, there was no text when I woke up so he's, he's still alive uh, if you can call it that. It's just sad. He doesn't know who he is, doesn't know where he is. Um, it's hour to hour. Again, many of you have had that experience. So I, you know, I, I just feel mushy this morning. Uh, again, not because I'm afraid of losing my 95 year old dad, but quite the opposite that he's still here and my sister is caring for him. 
But I share that in this in the context of sitting with, and that's what my sister is doing. She's just sitting with Papa. Sometimes it's just a privilege to sit. Just to sit. Don't be afraid to sit, guys. That's the incarnation. That's the picture. Jesus came. And so can you. I just showed up. That's all I knew to do. I just showed up. Don't be afraid to do that. You don't need to say anything. <laughs> Question number two. Question number two, when have you served another in need and actually helped, is what we would say. When, when have you been a helper? I just wanted to help. I just wanted to help. Identify that. When did, when did you feel like that you really helped? My goodness, did Jesus not help us? I mean, the incarnation, he showed up in a big old way. He invaded um, the world, left an incredible setting, heaven, eternity, and served us. When have you done that? And that would be a reflection of the incarnation. Uh, Jesus coming, and just as Jesus came to serve us or to help us, we have opportunity to do that with others to help somebody. Um, I, I am honored and privileged that uh, God has given me the opportunity to sit with so many Amen. year after year after year. I, I've, I, I, I feel so honored and privileged to sit with many of you. Uh, it's a calling. And you and I have that opportunity every day to help somebody. And uh, I'm so grateful uh, of how this men's community has helped each other. Uh, it, it gives my heart the greatest joy when I see men ministering to other men. That's what it's about, you know, having guys on your team, helping each other. Third question. Third question. When have you offered feedback to another after asking if you can offer your thoughts? And what I mean by that is sharing what you believe to be might be helpful. But guys, let me hear, uh, let me say this. I hope you hear this. Do not offer your thoughts to another until you respectfully ask. You know, I have some thoughts. Would you be open to my thoughts? Isn't that amazing? I mean, I have found, because I've done it the wrong way way too many times. The worst thing to be is an answer to nobody's question. <laughs> That's just annoying. That's advice giving. That's trying to fix. I mean, if you just applied that at home, you wouldn't be in near as much trouble as you are in the kitchen. You know, sweetheart, honey bumpkin, sugar cheeks. I've got a couple of thoughts. Would you be open to my thoughts? And when she says no, then you shut up. <laughs> but what you do and I do all too often is like we have a thought and so we said it. Ready, shoot, aim. 
You know, it's like, no, I've got a couple thoughts. Would you be open to my thoughts? And again, advice giving is not good. But just to give your feedback, uh, and that, and you got to come to Deer Camp uh, to understand that a lot, a lot better. I, I don't have time to go into feedback, you know, uh, Jimmy. I could go into a whole orientation on feedback, right? But uh, you got to come to Deer Camp uh, to get that. Offering feedback, not advice. We don't, we don't, we don't offer advice as best as we can. We're not, again, we're not perfect. I'm sure we offer advice too many times, but our, our desire is to not be advice givers, but to offer our reflection of another. And until you see yourself through the eyes of another, you'll never know who you are. And better said, you'll never know who you are until you see yourself reflected in the eyes of Jesus. That's the incarnation. I see myself in the eyes of Jesus. When Jesus looks at you and you look into Jesus' eyes, what do you see? Wow. Wow. That ought to be a wow. That's what moves us at this time of year. We are seen by Jesus in a way that nobody else sees us. And that's, that's the joy. So let's dig into this. Culture. History of Christmas. Facts to consider. Um, I'm using as a resource um, stories behind the great traditions of Christmas by Ace Collins. Um, history of Christmas. Yeah, in, in so many cultures, it was a pagan celebration. Um, a pagan celebration. Listen to this. For centuries, Christmas was anything but a holy day. It was most often a sinful parade of excess, a day set aside for ignoring laws and even terrorizing citizens. Mummers, the British carolers of the day, were musicians and actors who roamed the streets, presenting plays and singing songs. Mirroring the boisterous nature of the English Christmas, these songs rarely acknowledged the Christmas aspects of the Christian aspect of the holiday. Those who attended church did so in wild costumes. The messages of many priests were anything but scriptural, and gambling was common during the services. Now, that would be a church that some of you guys would show up in. <laughs> After church, the poor often stormed the homes of the elite in mob-like fashion, pounding on doors and windows, demanding the finest food and drink. If the host did not respond, the guests broke into the homes and took what they wanted. Sounds like some of the things we've seen on TV, does it not? This combination holiday of Mardi Gras and Halloween was nothing like today's Christmas. The drunken celebrations harkened back to the time when Romans and Greeks marked the winter solstice with a week-long festival of self-indulgence. As nothing about these celebrations was reverent, many devoted Christians loathed the holiday and considered it an instrument of sin and evil. Wow, Christmas. Isn't that wild? Christmas. Again, Christmas and Jesus are not synonyms, unfortunately, right? Or how about this idea of 
as Joe was saying, when was Jesus born? Again, um, tradition has it that we celebrate Christmas on December the 25th. And the way that got established was through Pope Julius in um, 320 AD. But just to, this idea of born in the spring, the one biblical passage that alludes to the specific time of the incarnation all but rules out winter as being the season of Jesus' birth. Logic clearly dictates that shepherds would not have been out with their flocks during the coldest time of the year. Most modern Bible scholars believe that Christ was probably born in the spring based on what we know of Roman census practices. Though they concede that Jesus could have been born in the summer or fall, one fact seems clear. The date of the Savior's birth was nowhere near December 25th. So why do we celebrate Christmas at a time when the birth of Christ could not have been could not have taken place probably because early church leaders wanted a holy day to counteract the ancient wild festivals held annually around the time of the winter solstice it was kind of a reaction a response long before the birth of christ almost every culture set aside the shortest days of the year as a celebration of the rebirth of the sun this is what joe is alluding to for peoples whose livelihood depended on sunlight the time when the shortest day of the year passed and the days of light became longer was an event to be marked and treasured. It was wonderful to know that the dark days of winter were finally over and spring was just ahead. And that's how we kind of moved toward December 25th. It was connected to a festival of the sun. And then for many years, September services this idea that Christmas could be celebrated in September, you know, but we wouldn't have snow in September. So you can't really do Christmas without snow, you know? I mean, why Christmas in September? It just wouldn't work. Listen to this. After, uh, again, the, the first Christmas service were usually held in September during the Jewish Feast of Trumpets, uh, Rosh Hashanah. Within a few years, more than a dozen different days have been assigned by various congregations as the birth date of Christ. Eventually, the most common date for celebrating Christ's birth was January the 6th, modern-day religious holiday of Epiphany. And then in 320 AD, Pope Julius I had grown tired of seeing the birth of Christ celebrated on scores of different days by churches all across the empire. So the Pope in an attempt to kind of bring uniformity, specified December the 25th as the official date of the birth of Jesus Christ. So you can thank Pope Julius the first. Five years later, after uh, Pope Julius the first um, designated December 25th, Constantine the Great, who had recently converted to the Christian faith, introduced Christmas as an immovable feast on December the 25th. He also adopted Sunday as a holy day in a new seven-day week. These decisions were no doubt a result of church leaders lobbying the Roman Empire for a Christian holiday that would cancel out the pagan midwinter celebration. With the power of the government behind this date, they assumed 
that Saturn and all the partying that went with the marking of this pagan God's day could be forgotten forever. Their assumption was quickly proven erroneous. Change did not come quickly. With the birth of Christ going head to head against the pagan celebrations, many chose to celebrate the pagan holiday and repent after the parties were finished. And what does that sound like? <laughs> Good. You're listening. Some Christians who did choose to mark Christ's birth did so in the same fashion that pagans honored Saturn and other gods with wild carousing and sinful behavior. Needless to say, the church was not pleased. These uh, things became so bad that the way Christmas was celebrated even became one of the planks that helped overthrow the English monarchy in 1649. And I'll share more about that in context. Guys, again, my point is Christmas and Jesus are not synonyms. That's all. So what is the incarnation? What is Jesus? The word became flesh. The word became flesh. I you to turn over to John chapter 1. This, this to me, is the Christmas passage. John chapter 1, um, verses 12 through 14. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. These are the God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, like one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The word became flesh. Think about that. God became flesh. I want to show you the picture of what I believe Christmas is like. It's like, it's like, it's like. You know, Christmas was an invasion by the living God into this world, this planet. It's like God has come to sit with us, to serve us, um, and to share with us all God's provision. He invaded this world. This is what I think Christmas is like. Watch this.
murder hole. Want to see plenty of beef between men. Five men is a juicy opportunity. One man's a waste of ammo. Get the sand out of your weapons. Keep those actions clear. And I'll see you on the beach. Guys, I, I believe that that scene is more like what the reality of Jesus coming to earth is than so many of the pictures and the symbols uh, that our culture offers us. Um, can you imagine, you know, Ephesians chapter 6 says that there is a greater reality. There's a spiritual battle going on um, behind the scenes. And so behind this picture that we believe to be reality is a greater reality than what we're even aware of. And can you imagine what was happening in that reality when Jesus punctured uh, the universe and came to earth? It's like, okay, game on, game on. And the spiritual forces of evil were on alert. Jesus has landed on the beach. And, and even, you know, the authorities were alerted. Oh, my goodness, you know, Herod. Oh, my goodness, there, there's this baby that's born. He knew the jig is up. He thought it was a political issue. No, something much deeper than that, Herod. Your heart, your soul is at stake. The word has become flesh, the incarnation the the beauty of these words and i and i hope and pray that in my heart and in your heart these words ring over these next few weeks the word became flesh unbelievable the word jesus himself the king of the universe the incarnation is not only the way in which Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us, but it's an eternal testimony that he and his Father are unswervingly for you, for us. I'm for you. Because God's not mad at you. He left eternity and landed on the beach to rescue you. I mean, the faces of those young soldiers are the faces of you and me in Jesus landing on our beach to rescue us. Isn't that a great picture? That's what this season is about. The word, Jesus himself, he became. Became does not mean that he ceased to be God in becoming man. He did not forsake his divine nature 
but he became like you and me in order to rescue us. I will go. God, I will go. He left the seat beside the Father and accepted the assignment, reporting for duty. And he showed up on the beach. Flesh. And guys, this is so critical. Don't underestimate this. I mean, most of us are in situations where this is just a, a, a given. But believe me, it's not. My first year on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, I was assigned to Southern Methodist University, SMU in Dallas. And, and many of you know that are Methodist. Uh, Perkins Seminary is a very noted seminary that's on the campus there at SMU. And one of the guys that was involved with our ministry, young guy, he was a seminarian there at Perkins. He wasn't at SMU, but it's on the same campus. And he invited me to go to class. Uh, with him and they were teaching the day I was in class on the resurrection and at this seminary the seminary professor was explaining that Jesus did not resurrect in the flesh it was a spiritual resurrection it wasn't a really fleshly res resurrection and I'm sitting there and I mean I'm I'm just as good I must have been 24 25 years old I'm thinking whoa, 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 whoa. I, 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 I'm in a seminary class and this guy is teaching that Jesus did not physically, fleshly resurrect. And that's why in Scripture it's so important that Jesus uh, is, is, is noted as eating food. People were touching him. It was a fleshly resurrection. And if you undermine the fleshly incarnation or the fleshly resurrection, then you basically flush Christianity down the toilet. Guys, it's important. Jesus, God himself, became flesh. It's real. Jesus with skin on it. That's amazing. But I'm telling you, our culture and many churches have undermined that. They're not teaching what the Bible says. So again, guys, I mean, we'll keep developing this. The Word became flesh. That's important. And as an application and an implication of Jesus becoming flesh, then you and I every day have the opportunity to sit with, be mindful of that, to, uh, to serve, Others, wow, what an opportunity that you and I have today. Every day, every day, every day, just a smile, a handshake. I mean, I, I mean, there, the opportunities are every place. Thank you. Is a ministry. I have the, you could say, I quote, I have the gift of thank you. And that's my calling. Good. Be a grateful person all day. It's great. And then this idea of sharing, not giving advice, but looking into the eyes of another and reflecting how Jesus sees them. That's feedback. That's care, not advice giving. We try to solve too many problems that other people 
are not asking to be solved. They're asking to be seen, to be heard, and to be understood. He became flesh. Praise to Jesus. King Jesus has landed on the beach. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for our time this morning. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week.